Well, good morning. It's good to be with you today. And yes, indeed, an encounter with the living God. We've been praying that way towards our services. We've been praying that for our groups that meet here on site. We've been praying that for Nashua Child Learning Center in recent days, an encounter with the living God. So that's my prayer this morning as we continue in our worship. I'm grateful for this worship team that puts in these hours each week to prepare us as we worship in song together at the beginning of our time together. So it is great to see you all. Last week when I stood up here, I was struck by how it looked to see an almost full sanctuary. It's been a long time since that's been the case. So I'm grateful for that this morning and praying that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to the Lord this morning. Um, Pam and Adam both asked me, well, what's your title for your sermon today? And I said, well, I don't really have a title, but I was thinking really, um, I actually did write this down somewhere along the way, about ordinary thoughts for these extraordinary days that we live in. And um, what I'm gonna share today are really some of the things I reflected on during my time away through October. And um, some of these are based on things that I've been reading and um, really just praying about. And so let me begin with my expression of gratitude for the time off that month. It really was a time of stepping away from the intensity of church life and a lot of the decision making and so on that goes on in everyday life in the church. A time to really regain uh, some ground in my own spiritual walk, which little by little for all of us, I think, tends to get eaten away when we work long days. And for me, intricately involved in the details of church life, for most of you in, in your own work lives. I do wish everyone could have a stretch of time like this away, just to step away from the intense routines that most of us live in. It's kind of a little bit like getting to know yourself again. You look back some and reflect further on what God might be calling you to in this day and even what he might be preparing you for in the weeks and months, even years ahead. And those are sometimes things that there's just simply not time to do um, with our regular schedules. As I shared in the message over the summer, there's just that so much we miss when we lose the practice of stepping back into Sabbath time and just listening for his voice. So, ordinary thoughts. So there's not really a defined rhythm to the message, so I'm just preparing you ahead for that. But they're really my own sense of God's presence and his words to me in these weeks. I know sometimes God speaks to us in these dramatic interventions and sometimes in quiet whisperings. For me though, and this has always been the case, he most often speaks to me in the ordinary of everyday life when I commit that time to him to read his word and even the teachings of other saints that have gone before us, it seems to give an open window for God <clears throat> to teach me new things and to speak into matters of my life that might be happening at that moment. So these weeks that I was away from here had many of those moments. For starters though, some of the fun and refreshing times were um, one week um, right in the middle of the five weeks or so, Joe was off too, and he and I drove up to Maine and drove the coast of southern Maine, visited different lighthouses, and um, at the end of that week went up to northern Vermont and 
visited Stowe, which has been a favorite place of ours to go. And I just love the walking path behind the center of downtown Stowe that we've walked on for many years when we've had the chance to get up there. The last week that I was off, I traveled to southern Colorado and visited my older brother. And we always have good conversations about life, our past, our future, life in God. And I enjoyed daily walks with the Rocky Mountains in the background. One afternoon um, earlier in the time off, I picked up my twin grandsons from school and took them out to their favorite pizza place. After that, one of the twins challenged me to try to beat him at tetherball. That's his new favorite love. And I convinced him that wasn't the best for my shoulder this year, but he settled for me watching him try to beat his brother at tetherball. We had some sweet moments that afternoon, and I'm grateful for extra time with those boys. Um, uh, I spent a few days up in Bradford, New Hampshire at a small retreat center. There's a retired pastoral couple that has set aside a portion of their home um, to offer this retreat space for pastors or pastoral couples. And um, so I was able to go up there and retreat, and those hours were well spent. So that's a snapshot, anyway, of what I did during those weeks that I wasn't here. I will say I tried hard not to, like, over-spiritualize the time or over-search for something profound or deep that God might be saying, but just kind of be during that time. I continued my daily devotional routines, but being off the regular clock and schedule, I had a little bit more time to read and reflect for sure. But as I said, one thing I've found always since the start of my life in God was that when I offer him that time and really allow myself to absorb his word, he really speaks to me in those ordinary places. While I walk, while I clean, while I drive to visit my children or grandchildren, he calls to mind the things I've read through the day and often teaches me new truths and helps me to kind of sort through some of the places of confusion or disappointment maybe. In the busyness and intensity of this last 18 months or so for all of us in all aspects of life, it was easy to lose those spots of reflection and even places where God may be pointing me or you to correct our course maybe to correct our attitudes or even recenter ourselves on him, allowing us even to shed some of the things we're unknowingly or subconsciously carrying around. Paul's letters have been some of my greatest teachers through the years, and I gave a lot of time to studying them early on because they more than anything helped to shape and transform the way I thought and the way I saw life when I became a believer. I needed some real work in those areas and continued to turn to them. There were so many things I needed to learn about how to live and think in healthy ways. There were many thought patterns ingrained in me from my early years that I sought to allow God to change. So I went back to those letters, having this concentration of time away, and I was reminded in the reading of them that um, living out God's call on Paul's life caused Paul to often say some very hard things to the churches he was writing these letters to. He wasn't doing it to be difficult or controlling, but to keep these young believers on the path that God was calling them to. We all must admit it's pretty easy to veer off the straight and narrow and get caught up in the thinking and even behaviors of the culture. And in Paul's first letter to Timothy, he says this to him at the very end. Timothy, Guard what has been entrusted 
to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some has, have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. It's calling Timothy to guard what has been entrusted to his care. What has God entrusted to our care? What has he entrusted to us individually? What has he entrusted to us as a church? So I sense that reminder from God for me and for our churches. We don't really ever stand still in our walks with God. We're either moving forward and going deeper with God, or we're gradually drifting away from the truths of God's ways. And that gradual drift for all of us is easy to miss. I think that's what the reminder to Timothy was about when Paul said to him, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Don't get caught up in the things of the world. It often leads to that drift. And as Paul says, it leads to a departure from the faith. In today's world, it's very easy to tie into the intensity of things of the world and tie them into the truths of scripture. And Paul is clearly warning Timothy here against this. We are called to guard that truth, guard what we know in our hearts. I think one of the ways we do this is to have a fresh testimony on our lips of what God is doing. What is God showing us in our own journey with him right now? Not, not the story of five years ago or 20 years ago, but today. What is God teaching you? What is God showing you? What has God spoken to my heart lately? I will say I lamented with God some during this time about the state of the church, the church at large. I've wrestled with these questions, particularly in these last couple of years. Who are we as a church? What are we about? How are we answering God's call to us in these times in our world? Remember, this pandemic and the world, the state of the world that we're in, it didn't catch God by surprise. It took us all by surprise, but it did not catch God by surprise. What is his call and what's he calling us to as his church? Though I know the media is not our friend, I can't help but wrestle with the general image of the church, the Christian church in the eyes of our culture. Of course, some of it's contrived, but frankly, some of it is well-earned by us and by those that call themselves our brothers and sisters. So I, I just must hand this to God and say, God, what are you calling me to do right now, here in 2021? What is my role in demonstrating the life of God's spirit? Imprinting it. Remember, guard what has been entrusted to you. Imprinting that on the culture. Imprinting on those, it on those that might come through these doors here at Community Chapel. Last week's message was a call to all of us to live out the mandate of Jesus, to think more highly of others than ourselves. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Scott Saul's a pastor of a large Presbyterian church out in Nashville. I read his blogs pretty regularly. We did, recently did a journey group with one of his books. He said something like this in one of his blogs this year that read, if people know more about your political persuasions and more about your position on the pandemic than they do about your life in Jesus, then something is wrong with that picture. 
Those words have really stayed with me. Is that true of me? Is that true of us? So my encouragement here is let's not let the riptide of this culture thwart what God wants to do in the midst of this very messy and stretching and demanding season. God, what is it you're saying to us, to your church? How do we reclaim lost ground in today's world? We are surrounded by those lost in their hopelessness, lost in a deep sense of purposelessness. We talk to people in those places almost every week as your pastors. How are we bringing them the message of the gospel that we profess guides our lives? Those are questions and matters I found myself pondering while in these weeks, especially after these last few challenging years that have impacted all aspects of life for us. And the church has not been exempt from it. Moving away from that some, in another book I peruse this time, during this time, I was challenged with the thought about how we as a church manage the skeptic in our midst. There's many who are not even sure what they believe. Some of them sit right here with us. They come in all age groups. Often we read about the very young that grew up right in this church maybe, that are leaving the church in droves these days. We've heard those hard statistics about churches everywhere. I highly recommend Philip Yancey's most recent book. It's his memoir, and he says in there, I, I learned so much about him in that book, it had me captivated. He said in there that he bends over backwards to honor the stance of a skeptic because he remembers how he was treated at the Bible college in the South that he went to at his mother's insistence. He said he still winces at the disconnect between the raw personal stories of people's lives and the spiritual overlay, like those platitudes that we use sometimes, that spiritual overlay applied to those people's struggles. What are we doing to help the skeptic in our midst? How are we balancing grace and truth? How are we helping them to probe until they find the truth? Not being threatened or offended, by their questions. I process some of this weekly with the young and the old in my groups at Keystone. Frankly, it's humbling to me to be asked those hard questions about life and suffering and forgiveness. And we owe them nothing short of the grace of God, the grace that God shows us when if we're honest in our own places of doubt, in our own places where our souls are deeply troubled and we wonder where God is. Another quote from Yancey that I need to remember when people are harsh or they do walk away from their faith, it often comes out of their own pain. I always ask at Keystone, one of the first things I do when I meet new people, which is just about every week, um, tell me about your faith journey. Did you go to church ever? What was that like for you? I want to hear their stories. I want them to feel a sense that they can be honest if church was not a good experience for them. But Nancy writes that lacerations of the soul can wound as deeply as those of the body. So let's be a church that brings healing to people's souls 
even the ones that are so different than us, even the ones that are so full of skepticism and questions. So let's respond when we're faced with this today. Let's be sure they feel like they have a place amongst us. And let's be agents of grace and healing as we picture ourselves in their very place. We had a meeting this week with someone, and I was reminded of this line, it takes courage to show up at church, especially when you don't know anybody and you're not even sure what you believe. In, the letter, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, he calls us to let our gentleness be evident to all. It's an important filter for us to use through our week in all aspects of life. Was that the gentleness of Christ that they just saw in that response or action? And he reminds us in, our, in his words to the Corinthian church, Paul says, I do not seek my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. Paul says, be imitators of me, just as I am of Christ. In his book, The Furious Longing of God, Brendan Manning writes, True saving faith always results in Christ-like attitudes and actions. Always. Wasn't an option there. Always. Wisdom, gentleness, proper perspective about wealth, self-control over our words, and responsiveness to those in need and justice for the powerless. He says these values make the lives of those that follow Jesus. I so wish that was a headline in the news. There's a lot packed into that quote, but I, I'm forced to ask that question, does that describe me? Does that describe us? Is that what people would say about us? In one of, one of my many go-to chapters of Paul's letter, Colossians chapter three, he writes, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. What is that message of Christ? Can I define that with plain everyday language? Is that what Brendan Manning is saying in that quote that we just read? If we can't define it in our words and live it in our lives, let's just keep going back to the day that we met Jesus. What is it that drew us to him? Let's stay fresh in that posture, always remembering the day he called us to himself when we said yes. We need that radiance in order to share the richness of who Jesus is with those around us who have not met Jesus yet. That's our first calling. With all the commotion of these days, we must confess it's so easy to forget what that calling is. It's so easy to forget what he has saved us from what he has rescued us from. Scripture tells us in that same letter from Paul to the Colossian church that he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Rescued, saved from, brought out of darkness into light. Because Jesus has done that for us, we all have a story to tell. That's someone out there needs to hear. We tell that story even when things are hard, even when we are in the places of life that seem to have no simple answers. We hold on to hope as believers because of what Jesus did, not because life is perfect, 
or it turned out the way we had hoped or thought that it would. In my time, I also studied some in the book of Esther because I really do need to know those Old Testament stories better. And the theme that permeates that book is that God accomplishes his work through people, people of courage. Esther was one of those people. Max Lucado writes, God's solution comes through people who dare to believe that they, by God's grace, were made to face a moment like this. We're all here for such a time as this. God offers solutions, and often it is through you and me. Oh, we cannot fix everyone's problems, but we for sure can be the presence of Christ for them right in their moment of questioning, in their moment of pain, in their moment or season of loss. Lucado goes on to share, it seems the entire world is in a state of trauma. People do not know why they were born or where they are destined to go. Do you know people like that? This is the age of much know-how and very little know-why. The invisible enemies of sin and secularism have left us dazed and bewildered. Friends, we do not have to make this a project or a program or go looking for something, someone that's lost in the chaos of the world or their own personal lives. These situations present themselves daily to us in our schools, homes, hospitals, funeral homes, on a daily basis. Lucado says, the world needs you. We need people with the resolve of Mordecai and the courage of Esther. If you don't know the story of Esther well, I encourage you to read through it this week and see how God used this unassuming woman because of her courage. The world, he says, is in desperate need of a people who will stay steady in the chaos. Are we steady in the chaos? Hear this story, maybe you've heard it before, but it's a story, I believe it's World War II, about a people who gathered in war-torn London. It reads, no one would have blamed them for canceling church services on that Sunday morning. A, bomb, a bombing had roared in the city throughout the night. Do you ever feel like a bombing has roared through your own life? London had become a circle of fire. Buildings were destroyed. Even the walls of this church were flattened. Members arrived to find pews covered with dust and mortar, but rather than despair, they chose to worship. Amid the heaps of stone, they began to sing. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by spirit and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Can you envision that circle of brave souls? Smack dab in the center of global chaos. They were not bickering or talking their political positions or their rights. This song they sang was an admonition of sorts, a declaration of truth amid a crumbling society. The song may well have saved the life of Ben Robertson. He was an American war correspondent who had arrived in London the day before. 
the night bombing left him undone and terrified. The explosions, sirens, and cries of the wounded caused him to despair of life itself. He said, if this is what modern civilization has brought us to, then let me die, he prayed. At some point, he dozed off. He awoke to the unexpected sound of people singing a hymn. He looked out the window and saw the congregation gathered in the rubble. He later wrote, suddenly, I saw in the world something that was unshatterable, something that had endured through the millennia, something that was indestructible, the spirit and life and power of Jesus Christ within his church. Bombs are still dropped. Worlds still explode. Walls still collapse. Pandemics still rage. But in the midst of it all, the Lord still had his people. He still has us. And when they proclaim the truth of God in the middle of a crumbling world, you never know who might be changed. So hear this. Cato goes on to write, God is in the middle of this. This steep climb, this uphill struggle, the cold, fierce headwind you're facing, you feel overwhelmed, weary, ill-equipped to weather it. But lift up your eyes. Who knows but that you have been chosen for such a time as this, as Esther was. So those are some of my ponderings, some of the words God stamped on my heart through the reading of his word and other teachers. Friends, the overarching theme for me, my deep passion, is to see lives changed for Jesus. And the church is the vehicle that God has given us. Lives changed for Jesus is lasting change, a change that gives hope in the storms, comfort as we face an unknown future, and hope for the life we're promised after this life. And as I said earlier, you and I are his plan to change the world. His people that he's calling to take these steps of courage to get out of the commotion of this chaotic world and fearlessly proclaim the truth when those opportunities present themselves. He's calling me, and I believe he's calling his church back to attention, front and center, to give new focus to him and what he wants to do in you and in me to change Nashua and the surrounding communities. We so often think of things in reverse. Like if we do things for God and we go to the right classes or activities or church programs, then we're good. But in reality, it's about getting alone with God and letting him do a new thing in us. And out of that, our lives produce fruit and we're becoming beacons of light to others. It's my heart prayer that God will help all of us to be teachable listeners. I'm asking God to help us to know when to speak and when to be silent. Praying God would show us where our passions are disordered and even what the motivation of our spiritual practices are. What are they and why do we do them? Trusting as we offer ourselves to him that he'll show us how to gather up the fragments of our scattered lives and how to recollect our souls. Praying with all of me that he'll show us how to extract ourselves from the urgent days and whirlpool of activities 
in order to move deeper into God. And let's remember, just like that church in London that faced the bombing, destruction of their church that first Sunday, they were still the church of Jesus Christ. Lakato reminds us that no individual, institution, organization, society, or country is beyond the influence of God. I repeat, he says, no one is beyond his sovereign hand. Proverbs 21.1 says, the Lord directs the king's thoughts. He turns to wherever he wants to. So friends, God's call to be his hand and feet remained exactly the same. And that same truth remains for us. Even when we can't physically gather, like happened over these last few years, even when things cannot be the same as they were forever, and even when we must abide by protocols in a pandemic to protect one another, even when all that was normal seems amiss. And truth be told, we all long for normal again. From our trips to the grocery store, to our kids' schools, to our life in the church, we all are longing for that. But even when normal seems nowhere to be found, we are still the church of Jesus Christ. Even when it's our personal world that seems to be imploding, we are still his, and he walks ever close to us. May we be found faithful and living accordingly.